everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 260 for March 22nd, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about dissatisfaction in the workplace and what we can do to make it better. So go grab one of those donuts from the break room because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Andrew in Southern California. Hello, everyone. And also Heather in Southern California. Hi, everyone. And Heather, it's your topic today. So what are we talking about? <laughs> well, the wonderful, uplifting topic of dissatisfaction in the workplace. <laughs> oh, I think the sun just came out. <laughs> well, it's rainy. I just thought I'd go with the typical mood. Of That's right rainy dreary so mm -hmm. we see these these articles are popping up all the time you know there's one like i had one right right now it just happened to pop up i guess it was listening to or watching me type <laughs> this <laughs> this or getting prepared for this because it just popped job unhappiness is at a staggering all-time high according wow. to gallup <laughs> So like you're seeing these pop up all the time, which actually kind of, I think sometimes is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we're being told that we're dissatisfied, so we should be dissatisfied. Yeah. They, or, they read the article I, I and go, I am dissatisfied. You're right. <laughs> or maybe, I don't feel it, but maybe there's something I'm not in tune with. But I actually do. I do think there's a lot there. I, I mean, I, I do think there's a lot of people that are unhappy in the workplace. I, I think it's really complex. I don't think that there's one answer. 
Uh, and I don't think that there's one category of people that are dissatisfied. Like everything else in the last two years, everything's very complex in, in why people are reacting the way they are. And, you know, I think some of it is just this concept. I, I call it like a, the snow day effect. Mm-hmm. So you got a snow day, right? And it was awesome. Like you found out why well, I don't have to work and you got a snow and and then the next day you have to go back to school. Or maybe you got three days of snow day and now you have to go back to school. And now school really stinks. Like school wasn't bad, but now it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it wasn't something that you, it wasn't that bad, but now it's really not enjoyable because you had these three days of snow days where you didn't have to do anything. And I know that's really simplifying the situation, but I do think that's part of the issue in the dissatisfaction because people went a long time without really having to work. Although I never had that, unfortunately, <laughs> I never stopped working. In fact, my, our work for us, it just got uh, much mm-hmm. more intense, but yeah. And I, so I think that that might be part of it, but I think another aspect is that it's like the issue and the solution are working against each other to actually make this mountain out of a molehill in in some respects. Do I think there's issues in the workplace? Absolutely. Definitely do. But I think that a few things that I want to talk about is what is it that people are dissatisfied with in the workplace? We see it on the on the boards all the time. And then mm-hmm. I think that this concept of dissatisfaction has increased this. I'm seeing the popularity of these little niche industries like culture advisors, professional coaches, development mm-hmm. platforms, scheduling platforms, management trainings. And actually, I think number one, it, it's creating a lot of stress. Number two, we've got some companies that are actually kind of getting manic with their response to how to create a better culture. And then they're trying to create it with a formula. And when you're dealing with people's feelings, formulas don't really work. Right. And personally, these companies take, I mean, I'm talking about like these little niche industries. Companies are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on trying to create this perfect culture. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, but they're trying to create this perfect culture, yet and and some of the wages are going up, but you're spending all this money on this and you're not increasing the call, you know, just with inflation, you know, you, yeah. you're spending money on all these extras where you could just be giving your workers more money. Yeah. And some people say, well, you know, the numbers say, the statistics say that yes, obviously, you know, people making money, more money is important. But how satisfied they are in the workplace and how they feel, I don't know, you know, how much they appreciate the culture in the workplace is as important as how much they make. And so companies are reacting to that by, you know, having all these other programs, which not all are created equal. A lot of them do not work. In fact, they make the situation worse. So that's what I wanted to just I first wanted to get your your guys idea. On, on all of this and whether or not you're yeah. seeing it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I absolutely see this kind of stuff. And, and, and I have to say it, all this stuff, just all of it, it all drives me crazy. I think it is mm-hmm. just the most idiotic waste of time yeah. crap. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's like the, the movie office space 
You know, it's just, yeah. it's that insane where it's just yes. like, come on. It's just a, it's just a cliche wrapped in another cliche. Well, yeah. you know, Hold on a second like, here. Uh, let me, yeah. let me interrupt. Please send emails to Andrew at, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, but it's just, it's like, uh, I think of like, I think of my grandparents' generation, you know, it's like, it's like my grandfather was a very, very young man during the depression and mm-hmm. he worked his entire life in the railroad. I don't know if he was interviewed about his job dissatisfaction mm-hmm. level. You know what I mean? Like, and I understand we don't want to be taken advantage of, you know, if you're not making enough money. I understand that certain things about your job get you down. Certain things about my grandfather's job working on the railroad for like 40 years, I think got him down. But you have to deal with it. You have to have a little Mm -hmm. spine. Like, you make your own satisfaction. You know, you're not just some passive person. You know, it's like, my job could really suck if I made it really suck. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Right. If I mm-hmm. complained about like everything that about my job that is a bummer and dude, I could, I mean, there are certain things about my job. It's not, it's not a sunny, happy day every day, but I don't. And it's not that I'm just some weird, like extra positive person or something. I just have perspective and I'm like, okay, that part sucks, but I'm going to focus on this part. That's better. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to be a grown up. Uh, I don't need a life coach, although I'm thinking of starting my own life coaching industry. Hey. And, you, you know, this this false creation of some job culture thing. It's like, don't waste your money. Do it yourself. It's about being a, a human being. OK, I got some thoughts on that, Andrew. Yeah. First good. off, the the world is a very different place than it was. 80 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, right? Like things evolve and change in our, well, it is, it is because our thoughts. We're talking like almost like metaphysically here, you know, like at its base, (laughs) like what makes, you know, what makes human beings. It's like how we treat our, our workforce and, and how we see work in general. A lot of those ideas have just really, really evolved. And one of the things I've been taking some notes here on our little Trello card for things I want to say for this episode, just based on this topic and trying to think about reasons why some people could be dissatisfied. There's the common ones for archaeology and CRM in general, which are lack of security. I would say that's probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Even if you're working for a great company that seems to have a lot of work, you could be out of a job tomorrow with no notice whatsoever because something changed above your pay grade and right. you know you no longer have a job and that is that is hanging over the head of literally everybody working in this industry literally everybody you know and it, it, you you could argue that it's hanging over the head of every employee in every industry i feel like some just have a, a little more security than others right and maybe some have less security but oh, if we're talking about this industry yeah yeah of but that's, course and and we we've all everyone here has experienced that i've experienced the like guess sure. what don't come in on monday you know yeah but but that's that's very different than than you know many years ago when you're working in a factory you're working on the railroad you're working on something like that that job seemed like it would never go away right and people were living off these you know pensions from Ford and and other places thinking we will never get laid off because this is the most secure industry in the world and then guess what you know thousands of people get laid off several decades later but you know during right. the golden age it was the career to have you know to to do those guys I grew up in Seattle where if you got a job at Boeing as a 20 year old, you were set for life. That was the mm-hmm. thought. 
And it's still, it still kind of is that way. That culture just permeates throughout the whole region. And yet still Boeing routinely just lays off 10,000 people when they don't get enough orders for a jet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that happens. My, my example too was almost pre golden age. This is almost depression era where it was sure. not, you know, like, Oh, I just have my job well, set for life. It was like, mm-hmm. you're the best one. If you're not uh, don't come back. Just because nobody was writing articles about work culture back then doesn't mean people were happy. You know what I mean? Like working, oh, yeah. working on the railroad all day long in the depression. I mean, couldn't have been super awesome. You know what I mean? Like That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> my point is that, of course, it sucked. People looked at work differently. Yeah. Like yeah. now it's like people. The one thing that I like about my job is that. I do have major entrepreneurial tendencies and I'm Mm -hmm. able to exercise that, but still have a regular job. So that's, that's nice. Uh, Not every CRM company or environmental firm is like that. So I enjoy that part of it, but I think that sometimes we put way too much focus on work to give us that satisfaction. So remember back in the day when like Google and Apple were creating a, and they still do this, but they were the first companies to do this, where they created this this society around mm-hmm. the work, right? So you would yeah. stay there, you could you would be fed, you could work out there, you could you could you'd start early, early in the morning and leave late, it's late at night. Yeah, it was a community. Now companies, a lot of companies have done that, but they didn't do it in a really good way. They didn't think <laughs> it out thoroughly, right? So so now a, a lot most I, I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of people are in this spot now where you're working early, early in the morning until late at night. And mm-hmm. it is, that is your life. And so now this creates all this other, all these other issues. When, when you had back in the day, like what Andrew was talking about, although they had long work, work days too, but you would go walk in, you do your job and then you would be done and you'd go home. There was clear distinction between work and the rest of your life. And yeah, yeah. that's gone now because yeah, of COVID. And so now all the, they have all these blurred lines. And if you had dissatisfaction in your life and you're just life outside of work, it's starting to blur into work. And if you have dissatisfaction in work, oh my goodness, does it ever <laughs> permeate yeah. into your personal life? And it's very hard to separate these. And I think that's part of the issue with the dissatisfaction is because, you know, they're saying the major things with dissatisfaction is unmanageable workloads, which mm-hmm. I definitely <laughs> am a victim of, right? So the problem is, is that as we have people quitting, it's just putting more emphasis or more work on those that are still working. So you have like crazy workloads. You you never have this thing where, wow, I had these tasks today and I got them all done. And the satisfaction of that was a job well done today. Yeah. Um, you can't do that. No matter how much you accomplish, you accomplish way more than you would have two years ago in a single day. You still can't be satisfied that you finished everything. It's right. because it's unending. And then- you know, so you have the burnout. Then you have managers, you have people in management positions that have no business. Now that's always been an issue, but now when they are managing, whether they are doing it intentionally or not, whether mm-hmm. they're managing not only your work environment, but your your home and personal environment, because it's all bleeding together, yeah. that makes a, an, a bad manager even worse. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're trying to cover their butt all the time. 
Right. And, and we, you know, we have to acknowledge too, that we're talking about two, maybe three very different levels of employment. If we're talking about CRM, right? Like you, yeah. you are, you do a lot of office work. You do a lot of project management. You do a lot of report writing. And I, I totally understand the whole, you know, not being able to finish your task list thing, because even what you, you can put one report to bed and, and you've got, okay, great. This one's done. I've sent it off. Uh, you know, comments are finished. We're just going to, you know, archive that folder and, and it's, you know, put it on the share drive and it's done. Right. But you've mm -hmm. got six other concurrent reports or 10 or 20 right. other concurrent reports that you're still working on. And the task list just never ends. And that moment right. of satisfaction gets shorter and shorter Pleading. and shorter. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. you've just got a mountain of stuff sitting right next to it that just has to be done. And, you know, and with field techs, it's, of course, very different a lot of times, right? Because they don't mm -hmm. have these current, current things. They're working on a project and they're out there, but they also have... I think their dissatisfaction likely comes from, again, the lack of security, but not only the lack of security momentarily in the job that they're in, but their entire career. Because what mm -hmm. what does it look like? Yeah, Everybody talks about, oh, you need to save and prepare for retirement. How does a field tech retire, right? They have to end up as a PI or owning a company or something like that. And even then, retirement is on shaky ground, right? Like retirement mm -hmm. is not a thing that people in their 20s right now are going to have in the traditional sense, unless they're making investments, but, of, and they're being told that, but they don't have the money to make investments, right? They're not being paid enough or they're not managing enough because they weren't taught how to do that. And it's just incredibly, incredibly stressful. So what does that lead to? Well, it leads to thinking about your side hustle. What are you going to mm -hmm. do to bring in extra money? And then sometimes that's a passion. Sometimes it's Uber, who knows, but it's like, whatever that is, starts taking precedence over your work in your mind as I would rather be doing this thing than doing this means to an end over here where we all started in archaeology as a passion. I mean, you don't get into this field without right. really wanting to do it. It's a passion field to start with. But then when you I get do into it, just it for the money, I, I'm well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you yeah. are and the paintball wars. I know that. Yeah. So, yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. Just <laughs> but Andrew, that's where that's where you're a little different too, right? Because you said that, you know, sometimes you are dissatisfied. Sometimes things don't go right, but you don't dwell oh, yeah. on it. But you you are in a in one of those positions, and I know we've heard Bill talk about this. We have heard mm -hmm. you talk about this. Mm -hmm. There's always the other side of the coin. I've always looked at being a professor as, you know, elbow patches and corduroy jackets <laughs> and walking through IV cover covered <laughs> well, buildings. The class, true. right? Yeah. yeah. And and that that whole, oh, I'm just going to walk in, say a bunch of things and then walk out and then have, you know, students write I love you on their eyelids. Right. That's that's all that I, I see professorship as. Right. Wait, wait, wait. That doesn't happen for everyone. That's just me. I know, okay. but that's, well, but then there's the, then there's the reality behind being a professor and <laughs> you know, there's, there's all the extra work and the stuff that you don't see, but still there's uh, a romantic side of it that that's like, oh, I'm a college professor and that's your long-term vision yeah. and field techs just don't have that. See, you that's, know? you know, I think, I think I'm guessing when we come back, <laughs> I, I have a couple things I think I could, I could say about that. Like, like okay. how to, how to deal to make it a little bit less dissatisfying all right that sounds like a good break point we'll be back in a minute join us today during the jeep celebration event right now get 20 percent below msrp for an average of 15,178 under msrp on the purchase of a 2023 jeep grand cherokee overland 4xe or summit 4xe 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to the CRM ARC Podcast, episode 260. Hope you're not dissatisfied with us yet. <laughs> We're talking about dissatisfaction <laughs> in the workplace and what causes it and how we can get rid of it. But Andrew, you had some comments what I was saying on the end of segment one. Yeah, it's good I'm here to bring everybody back up with my life coaching skills. So uh, mm-hmm. in terms, you know, I, this is just what I've seen over the years in in CRM in terms of kind of the job dissatisfaction thing, because we know it's a real thing. And we see so many people get kind of like bitter. But for younger people out there, I think there's a there's a couple ways to to deal with this just to to know the score. I think so many of us, we want to invest in our job and define ourselves as our job. You know, we're talking about the college professor thing, you know, and how, how it has that kind of romance to it. And mm-hmm. being a CRM archaeologist has its own romance too, actually. It sounds sure. very cool. Like if you're talking to other people, what do you do? I'm an archaeologist. Wow. That's, that's that really way. awesome. Yeah. But I think the hard part for a lot of people getting into CRM is they're in academia and then they kind of go into the CRM world and they don't have that business sense to treat it like just as a business if that makes sense. And I know it's hard, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when you're young, it's hard, but you got to be like, you got to get a lay of the land. Like, okay, what are the seven CRM firms that are working locally? Which ones are the good ones? Which ones are the bad ones? Which ones are a good fit for me? If it's not going well, have enough knowledge about other local CRM firms to reach out to another one, quit the first one, and then like move to the better one. And it's just, when you quit, they'll try and give you grief and you're just mm-hmm. like, hey, man, just business. And they'll hire you back when they need you. You know what I mean? They yeah. always do. The other thing I notice is, especially with young people, they don't come in thinking about the structure of CRM, how you can start in the field versus in the office. What are the like levels of CRM? They just have a vague outlook of like, oh, I just want to be in archaeology. So even if you just Something as simple as knowing those levels, know what it takes to move up in CRM. Is that something you want? Being honest with yourself, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I know it sounds like it's cliche ridden, but like I see so many people not knowing the structure of CRM as a business and dealing with it as a business. Because I think if you can, you will be less dissatisfied because you are dealing with it in reality and not with a dream where you're the, with the dream that's not even based in how it really works. Yeah. And then, right. and then my, my last bit in terms of retirement and stuff, you can do it even if you have very little money. Like uh, we had a podcast on that fairly recently, mm-hmm. right? How to mm-hmm. invest, which you really can with very little money. Anyway, mm-hmm. Heather, what's up? Yeah. Just along this line of thinking is that you have to have goals. You have to, yep. you, you, ha- you can't just, 
And I see a lot of this where people are just, they're just jumping into the workplace and expecting the employer or somebody else to, to lay out this, you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this. Now, in your day-to-day function and the tasks that you have to do, yes. But when it comes to your career, that is up to you to do. And you can't just be a bystander in your own career. So, so true. Part of the dissatisfaction is that people don't have this mark that they're working towards. I think that even goes into when it comes to money. Like mm-hmm. if you don't know, really ha- haven't done your homework and you don't know really what is a fair market value for you with your skill set at this time in your career, you're going to be dissatisfied with any money that you make. Yeah. Really? So you have to have a good sense of what is reasonable for where you live. And like, you know, I see this a lot posted. Well, you know, they're making 17 an hour in, I don't know, Missouri. I, I'm just picking a state. Yeah. And they're making, you know, 25, 30 an hour in California. Well, I, I would actually venture to say that 17 an hour in Missouri probably goes further than 30 an hour in California. You know? Probably true. And, you know, there's so many aspects to what you make an hour in this industry. Now, I'm not saying 17 hours, okay. But what I'm saying is you have to look and really do your homework. What is it? What does it take? This, what kind of life do I want? Number one, what do I want right now? And you have to be reasonable. You are 22 years old. You just finished your college experience. You have a degree and you have no skills. I have news for you. You have no skills. <laughs> you have no practical skills. I shouldn't say none, but you do have a limited practical skills because you haven't exercised this knowledge that you have gained, which is, that's what the workforce, that's what entry-level jobs are for, is for you to get a practical sense of what you just learned in school. So now look at that and say, okay, I, I want to have this life be reasonable. What is that going to take? What number is that going to take? And then you aim at that number. If people did this so more methodically, I think they would be much more satisfied because it'd be like, okay, I made that mark. Great. Now what's my next goal? But a lot of people don't do that. They just want to yeah. sit back and yeah. let the company do it for them and then complain for the sake of complaining. Yeah. They just, I, I love that word methodically. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what it is. You know, you can't be passive. You have to have mm-hmm. a method to your future. You know, I, I, that is the perfect term methodically. I I think a part of this, though, is also something I didn't actually realize until I started working more full time full time in another field. It's not even archaeology related to me. It's 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 less about like what number am I shooting for in this field? But it's more about what kind of lifestyle do I want to live? And you can't just say I want to live in a twenty five million dollar mansion. Right. Because that's not realistic. (laughs) But but like, damn it. I know, but that's not to say that shouldn't be one of those far off goals, right? I mean, that 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 could be a goal, but it can't be the first step in your goal, right? That has to be mm-hmm. that has to be step one hundred because you could get there through various means, but realistically, what do I want right now for my lifestyle? And you know, for me, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, archaeology simply wasn't cutting it, and there was a lot of opportunities that I had and a lot of different things I could do. I could have easily you know, worked for somebody else and, and, you know, probably been a project manager and been doing these things. But I'm like, well, do I want to be working 60 hours a week 
and still kind of making this amount of money, maybe a little bit more? Like, is that worth it for my lifestyle? To me, that wasn't, right? And I wanted something else that would allow me to work from home, you know, full-time, work from anywhere because my home is mobile and just, you know, be able to do whatever I want to do and whenever I want to do it, take time off when I want to take time off. I don't like asking people for time off. I really don't. I never have. That's why I've been an entrepreneur and a business owner my mm-hmm. whole life, pretty much. And and I just... I want to control those things, but that's what makes me happy. You know what I mean? So if security and going into a job and seeing your coworkers every day makes you happy, then that's what you have to find as long as you can do it and pay your bills. And maybe there's some upward mobility, but then some people don't even want that. They just want something that's nice and secure and consistent, you know, and that's, and that's what makes them happy. So I think finding that out for your own self is the first thing you've got to do. Otherwise you're always going to be dissatisfied with whatever you're doing because it doesn't make you happy. And, you know, along those lines, one of the notes I wrote was entrepreneurship. I feel like I feel like in the United States, especially, we have this kind of feeling that in order to really be successful, you have to start your own job. You have to start your own business. Mm -hmm. You have to do your own thing. You have to be your own boss. We hear that all the time. And it's just, first off, not true. I mean, it could be, but it's really hard. So you you have to be willing to go through that journey to create your own things because there's a lot of stress and a lot of hardship on the way there, unless you invent something that everybody wants, which is, you know, that's a one in a million. But it's really difficult to go off on your own and do that. And it might not be what you thought it was going to be, but it could be, you know, it very well could be. But I feel like a lot of people might be thinking about that, especially if a little bit of dissatisfaction creeps into their workplace, whatever they're doing. And they've got this great idea or this thing that they're kind of doing and maybe have done a little bit of in the past. And they keep thinking, well, if I could just devote a little more time to this, then I could make it really take off. You know, I don't know how many times I've had that thought. You know what I mean? If I could just focus a little more on this thing, like the Archaeology Podcast Network, I could say no to everything else. And you know what? The fact is, it's true, but it's really hard to get there. <laughs> it's really right. hard to do that. Yep. Yeah, it's it's, it's very tough. And, you know, Chris, I mean, that was just a lot of philosophy for a Sunday morning. You know, uh, <laughs> that was that was tough on me. But I think you... That's as religious as I get. Yeah, (laughs) I think you nailed it with that, though, because just with your experiences and and what you said, you talked about steps that just goes Mm -hmm. along with the methodically thing we said before. You know, it's like you sat there. You're like, you know what? In order to be happy, I thought deeply about this. I thought about what steps it would take. You know, I mean, I remember I've probably told this story here at some point. Uh, my big deal like 20 years ago, 25 years ago was to be a teaching assistant. Like that was my freaking dream, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, if I could only be a teaching assistant, that is the coolest thing ever. And right. when I finally was like, it was such a feeling of accomplishment. And it's a, it's about those kinds of steps for yourself of noting those steps and then making the step and then getting to the next one. Right. It's, yeah. that's, it's funny. It's so simple, but tough at the same time, but that's what matters. That deep dive. Mm-hmm. What do I truly want? Again, insert every cliche, but that's, that's what matters. Like make the list, make the list today for yourself. What do you want out of life? You know? And, and I think you can check off some of those boxes by working for a CRM company and being in this job, right? Because yeah. if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, maybe even some small investments, like we've talked about, like drop $10 into stash every week or something like that, you know, or whatever investment thing you want. 
it's it's low risk. I mean, depending on what you're investing in, <laughs> but, it's yeah. lower. but if you're only dropping ten dollars a week and then you lose all that, yeah, you know, that's okay. That could happen, right? But but it still gives you that sort that that little half step of accomplishment. Like I'm I'm providing for my future. And the younger you are, yep. the less you can put in, right? Because you've got yeah. a lot more time to think about it. If you're starting, kind of like I did in my 40s, then you've got less time. It's just biology, <laughs> right. but right. and that's more stressful for me, right? So if I'd started doing this in my 20s, it would be you know I would feel a lot less stress about it uh, if I had done it right. But the point is, right. you can use your current job. And see your current job as a good thing and as a as a step towards the goals that you want to have. And, you know, I mean, everybody knows whatever job you're in right now, you're probably not going to retire from your whatever career you're in in that job. That's just not the culture we live in anymore. Work is not 20 to 30 years in one spot and then I retire. It's just not. Uh, I mean, more than likely, like Heather, you work for a great company, but that company, I mean, statistically, in the next 10 years is probably going to be purchased mm-hmm. by another company. And will that company, you know, still have the same culture? Will, will everything you have right now that you like about your job still exist when that other company buys it? I mean, it's almost inevitable that it's going to get bought. You know, I mean, our company has changed. It's changed yeah. since, you know, we, we were, you know, it was a small company. It was, it had an ethos that was created by its founder mm-hmm. and the people that he had hired um, early on which made this company great. Things change though. You know, yeah. we are now an ESOP and, you know, they, there's definitely a shift, you know, and, and a lot of companies are going through this shift and yeah. it's not always positive, you know? Yeah. I think, I, I think we maybe take it on the other, you know, for the next segment, but, you know, I think I really would like to focus on, I mean, we're talking about being intentional and we're talking about like, really putting a goal in front of us, but Mm -hmm. I would also like to, you know, uh, talk about these extras that the companies are starting, you know, the culture and trying to create a culture that's positive and and really, is it positive? You know, is, is, is it effective and is it, and is it necessary? Cause now we're all, we're opening up a whole, when you start creating a culture like that, you're putting a lot of, a lot on your personal satisfaction in the workplace that right and yeah i'd like to talk a little bit more about that yeah in segment three let's definitely talk about that that work culture that that they try to fix from the top down and then also that Mm -hmm. sense of community but in the last couple minutes of this segment i want to talk about real quick one of those things because heather before we started recording you were mentioning some of the articles coming down talking about you know how do we fix you know all these algorithmic solutions to try to fix culture in the workplace and dissatisfaction and stuff like that. And sometimes it's, oh, we need more, you know, celebrations and and company gatherings and things like that. But, you know, a lot of times companies have to really take a hard look within and look at the people that are managing the people that are dissatisfied and maybe the people that are managing those people. Right. It's it could just be. You've got one shitty person in, in, a, in a position that is just yes. either not equipped with the tools to manage effectively or just sucks at managing to begin with. Maybe they just don't have the attitude for it. <laughs> that's that's the problem is that these companies are trying to because, you know, a lot of times people become managers because they've been in the company for a long time. Yeah, they have committed themselves. Yeah, they've committed themselves as I don't know. I mean, like they've said, we, we've bought into this company and mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to tow the company line. And yeah. so the company, from another perspective, looks and says, OK, this is a good manager. 
or good material for for management. And they hold on. I mean, you see it a lot where you have a toxic manager who is chasing people away and a company keeps them in their spot. Why is that? It is really mind boggling to me and to others, which then just perpetuates additional departures, you know, Mm -hmm. good people that you're losing because of one person. And not that you need to get rid of that one person. Maybe that person needs to be shifted to another role. They're just not good in this role. And, you know, I think part of it is, is that it used to be managers were delegators. Mm -hmm. Not that that's the right way to go. I don't think it was ever the right way to go. To me, managers are coaches. Managers are people that, you know, help people grow as a professional. And then because of that, the work product is better and Mm -hmm. in in kind of a simplified way. But then when you have somebody who's just not aimed toward that, either they're just a selfish person and they just want to be a manager because they want that title. That happens a lot, right? Then what a company does is they say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to make this person a good manager. If their personality and if their intentions as a manager aren't pure, I don't care what kind of programs you put them through. It's not going to happen. You could have, like, I've seen it where you have a a manager who has been taught to care. You should care about (laughs) the people that you're managing. And so it's so disingenuous because you're sitting here as the employee and this person (laughs) is trying, is telling you that they really care about you. Right. Yet when you're talking, they're taking all these notes down about, (laughs) and you're sitting there going, okay, what I'm, like you're asking me to open up to you because you say you care about me, but that what are you going to use against me later on down oh, the road? Yeah. You know, and it's like it's you cannot create a good manager. Mm-hmm. You could take a raw skill set and teach them how to become a better manager, but if somebody's not a good manager or their motivations are not pure or correct, you'll never change that. Yeah, that is the longest road. You know, I think Heather, I think you put like the nail in the coffin in terms of of this stuff. I was just thinking about it. And I think a terrible manager is the number one reason I left every job I ever had in Mm -hmm. CRM. Like it was that that's it. Like even in, even in academia on archeology span projects and stuff that it's almost, I think it might be the only reason. And I left plenty of things. It was that Mm -hmm. every time it was the horrible managers. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, on that cheerful note, let's take our final break (laughs) and come up, come back on the other side and see if we can fix this back in a minute. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now. Get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 260, talking about dissatisfaction in the workplace. And as we said in the last segment, in this one, we're going to talk about that culture that the workplace tries to create, I guess, uh, is it for lack of a better way to say it? it usually comes from the top down or from HR or from somebody, depending on how big your company is, it comes from somebody who probably read a study or paper, or if it's HR, you know, they, they have their own certifications and like HR conferences and how to make the workplace better and stuff like that. And I got to say, that doesn't work on me, right? Like I work for a yeah. company that does those kinds of things, not because there's people that are dissatisfied. I'm sure there are. There's There are in any company of any size. There's several thousand employees in the company that I work for. And, you know, some people are going to be unhappy and there's, you know, the, the, the HR is always trying to figure out, well, why and how do we fix it? How do we make it so you want to stay here and you want to do things? And in the era of post-COVIDness, that's even more difficult because most of this company now works remote full time. They, they committed to that. They got rid of office buildings. They got rid of places where people were going, acknowledging that people wanted to work from home and trying to create a culture and a community of people that work remotely is incredibly difficult. So they're always doing these things. And like the, the company that I really kind of work for, the one that was purchased by the parent company, they're in Australia. And a lot of them also work remotely, right? Most of them actually work remotely. And not only are they spread out across Australia and New Zealand, but they work remotely to begin with. They do have offices in the big cities, Auckland, Sydney, Perth, Melbourne. But those offices are like WeWork offices and they have a certain number of spaces and you sign up to say, I want to go into the office today. Or maybe certain teams will meet like once a week or once every other week. And they'll, they'll just come together physically in the same space just because they can get more done in that period of time. But it's 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 periodic and, and not very often. But the thing is, you know, they're always doing these like they used to have pub nights where they would go do trivia as teams, you know, at a, at a bar or something like that. You didn't have to go. But if you wanted to go, you went with your coworkers who, who quickly became friends. And they're still doing that, but they're doing it virtually now. You know, you, you grab a few drinks. You can have your family around if you want and help you out. You know, you join these teams and they do trivia over, you know, over Teams or Zoom, you know, something like that, basically. And they're, they're still trying to do those sorts of things. And, and they do other little things that they try to keep people happy for. Like it's required that you take a day off on your birthday. If your birthday falls on a weekend, you take a Monday or a Friday. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's one like of your... That. It's one of your vacation days that you just get. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. your birthday. And and they just they try to do all these things and some of it works and some of it doesn't. And and then the parent company that's here in North America, they do some of the more traditional corporate things. I, I much prefer the way the Australians handle the company, but the North American side, they're doing, you know, you always see these little emails come out about, you know, here's how to make yourself happier and literally happier and more satisfied. I've seen emails with that title, not just with work, but like in life in general. And it's like, where are you getting this? Like the HR playbook? Like where, yeah. where is this actually so disingenuous. From? I know. I was it's just gonna say, so, it really is. so genuine. Oh my <laughs> I know. gosh. And one of the things I've always wanted from a workplace is friends. I don't even want like employees and, and coworkers. I want people that I can, that I'm willing to like call up outside of work and say, Hey, I'm going to go on a hike this weekend. You want to go with me, you know, and, and do things like that. And I tried to create that while maintaining that sort of managerial separation when I've had big, you know, crews of my own on work sites where, you know, my company was running the project and, you know, we we always did crew dinner. That's one of the things I always did. We did crew dinner once during the 10 day, usually the day before the end of the 10 day session. And, you know, I took everybody out to dinner and we just had a good time. You know, we just had a good time. There was no talk about work. There was no anything else. And it was just, let's all go out to dinner. Company's covering it. And 
get whatever you want. You know, it doesn't even matter. And that's just one of the little things. And I, I never tried to do anything that was disingenuous, but like I love playing Monopoly. You know, I don't know why people hate that game or love that game. I love that game. <laughs> and so I love that we game had, too. I know we have Monopoly nights loves. all the time. Yeah, I've got pictures on my photo roll that come up every once in a while on my phone of me and people that were working for me playing Monopoly at the end of a workday, you know, in the evening and, you know, having some drinks, having some beers, some wine, whatever, and playing Monopoly and having a great time doing it. And it was just really fun. And that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I want to have in my workplace with my right. coworkers. I want them to be friends. And man, setting that up and, and getting people to that point is so hard when there's so much work to do and you don't have time to do that. Cause sometimes it can be seen as, well, we're going to do this thing as a, as a work group in the evening, we're going to all go out and I don't know, go to a bar, go bowling, do something as a group as like a team building thing. But all people see that as is, well, shit. Now, if I don't go, I'm the asshole. But if right. I do go, that's just more time away from my personal time or my family and what I really want to do. And it's right. seen as disingenuous. So I don't know, Heather, you're more in that corporate atmosphere. How do you guys deal with that? Well, <laughs> I would say <laughs> how tough. I deal with it is different than it. I'm not, I don't agree with everything uh, the company I work for is doing right now. Yeah. But I, th- I, I know that they're trying. Yeah. But I think the thing is you cannot force culture. And I don't think they realize, like I've said this a lot. I've said it even on this podcast, but I say it a lot at work. I'm like, I don't think people realize that this culture thing is a real gas, is a potential for gaslighting. When you are pushing a culture and you're saying, we have this culture, we're amazing, yay, yay, rah, rah, whatever your company is, and you mm-hmm. are constantly saying, you know, isn't this an amazing company? We're this, we're that, we're this, we're that. And then you have people that are like, wait a minute, I'm not experiencing that. Um, <laughs> it, it, I don't experience that at all. In fact, I feel completely the opposite because that's that's not what the company's trying to communicate then you feel like just like you feel like the asshole because you're the one who doesn't want to go to dinner or you're the one who's not feeling the culture right now. And, you know, the more that a company tries to create a culture, the less genuine it is. You have to let it happen organically. You really do. And you can set up you can set up opportunities for the culture to happen, but you cannot say, okay, this is our culture and we are going to be this, this and this. You can say that is our goal. But you can't come out and say, it's just like, I don't know, I, I want to be the best singer in the world, mm-hmm. right? You see this with uh, whatever you you see, these, these crazy people that go try out for America's Got Talent or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they come in and they're like, I am the best singer. And this concept that if I believe it, it will be. That's not the way it works. Like you can have a goal <laughs> in front of you and say, I want this, but you could you're still off tune. You're still a terrible singer. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, I'm getting a little off track, but I, I think that it is a dangerous thing when a company says that this is our culture without saying we are working towards this culture. And I mean, yeah. these types of things have always been this way. I mean, think about it, bowling leagues, right? I mean, companies back in the forties and I mean, it, there's always been opportunities for people to do things with each other that they work with outside of work. But, you know, the one thing I was just talking to somebody at work uh, on Friday about it is that, you know, you have all these opportunities. They put wellness Wednesday, they have all these, you know, you can meditate for 15 minutes. You can do this. You can do that. You can have a barbecue. You can, they have these different 
you know, programs where you can, they have an hour here, an hour there. And what they don't realize is that from a employee's perspective, they're believing, oh, I should do this. This is what the company is pushing. And when your company is focusing solely on culture, like there's got to be balance. If you're not putting, you're not balancing that out with just hardcore, what do we do to do well at our product, to put out a product that's cor- that's good, that we're training our, our, our employees to produce well what we are being paid to do. Mm-hmm. And you put so much focus on culture, there's an imbalance there. And now you have, like, sometimes I've seen it where people are like, okay, uh, okay, I accept that invitation and that invitation. And before you know it, they're doing 20 hours a week of culture stuff and on 20 hours a week on their workload. You know, it's yeah. just when they start bombarding employees, employees don't know how to react to it. And then there's no guidance, right? Because if you say, well, wait a minute, you're only allowed this many hours per week. Oh, well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to put a limit. We want people to do what they feel they need to do. Yeah, but that's not what, you know, it's like two different messages that people don't, the company does not realize how the employees are taking their message. And now you have a company that's focused on their culture instead of their product. And when it comes to a company, that's number one, your product, your product should be number one. <laughs> and honestly, right. I think every worker who's a good worker, which I think most people are, just want to go to work and produce the, the product, whatever it is they're getting paid for. That's what they want to do. Now, if there's little extras, great. But a company should not be focused on those extras primarily. It should be focused on the product with these others as supplemental. Right. And I I would just say that the whole like, we're so great. We have a great culture. It's just a false framework to begin with, you know, and it's like every every company now has to have their false framework and they're all scrambling to put their false framework on. And you can see it on like their website. You know, we're the happy fun company. And, And as you're saying, it's total gaslighting, because as you experience it, you're like, wait, this isn't happy or fun. You're not a happy, fun company, but it's just the entire framework is false to begin with. And so you're just sort of stuck with another waste of time where I think it's right, Heather, underneath it all. It's like you want to do a good product. You want to be proud of the product you make. And then like Chris was saying, and then you can have outlets to make friends naturally in good time using good managers. That would be Mm -hmm. great. Okay, so so what are we leading down to here, right? Like what are we what what are we coming to through this whole conclusion? Is there anything that companies can do to really do this in a in a genuine way or I think I think from my standpoint there's little a company can do from a top-down perspective to generate this community. I, I think there's some things you can do to kind of to kind of foster that, but you can't force it, right? You have to hire mm-hmm. hire people that that get along. I think you have to recognize that some people that don't get along with anybody, even if they're the best archaeologist or the best employee or the best GIS person ever. The point is is not that, right? The point is to have people who want to be there and to get the work done because the work is important. It's not just a, a corporate bottom line. The work we do is really important. And to to make that part of it and to understand it, I mean, you just got to have people that work well together. And if, if that person that is not, if there's somebody that's not causing that, then they need to go. Uh, I mean, flat out, they just need to go and or be restructured into a position where they're not interacting with those people if you want to keep them around for whatever reason. 
Yeah, so, I totally think it's the managerial level. It's not the company yeah. website. You know, it's the it's the manager. It's like the crew chief out, you know, in the field and how they by sort of the seat of the pants are able to kind of bring people together in in that sort of more organic way. They can think about it consciously, you know, and, and really have plans to do yeah. that. But yeah. that's it's very tough. Ooh, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Right. So wrapping this up, it, it seems like. We, we need a top-down approach for some things, but we also need a friendly atmosphere for people to work in, right? And and for people to actually become friends. And that's a difficult, difficult thing to craft. You need the right people and you need to be paying attention to that. And that's one thing I don't think some companies do is they don't really pay attention to the levels below them, whatever that is, and whether or not they're actually... They're actually getting along, right, and doing things, yeah. and 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 becoming friends, and doing those sorts of things. I, I just I just don't know that they're doing that. And but I think one of the a couple of things that companies can do to be more thoughtful of your time and your efforts is to do things like Heather, you mentioned way back in I think segment one maybe about like Apple and Google creating like a you know like a gym and a workout facility and encouraging people to do that while they're in the office and go yeah. go take a break and do an hour long workout or something. You might have to work a little longer, but you can get this in on work time. And then, you know, the cereal bar is famous at Google, I think, you know, where they've just got this wall of cereal types <laughs> where you can just go and have stuff and have the company not nickel and dime people on that. Keep a refrigerator stocked with drinks and things like that. That. it's little things like that Ooh, that's that huge it's yeah. huge right it's yeah. very like, huge when you don't I would have to take think that over 20 like meetings about how we need to have a better culture you know i'd take like <laughs> right. a stocked like snack bar yeah or a beer fridge for the end of the day totally. you know what i'm talking about right. i mean it yeah. just have I those can't kinds tell of things you- mm-hmm. how how many people when they work for us for the first time and I'll, I'll say it's something that I do. I know a lot. There are other people in our company that don't do this, but, you know, I'll bring snacks mm-hmm. and fruit and, you know, drinks and, and that sort of thing. And that is it goes a long way because, yeah. you know what that shows? I care. Like it yeah. took me time to go to the grocery store and to get something right. like I was while I was walking through the grocery store. I was thinking about the people that I'm going to be working with. And I was caring for them. And whether Mm -hmm. they think about it that in depth or not, that indirectly comes across as I care. I care. Yeah. And I think I just I struggle with it a little bit. But what I think the answer to all this is with no disrespect to really just say, okay, HR, I'm like, you're a non-entity to me now. (laughs) (laughs) I say it should be the managers down. Yeah. The yep. manager, like focus on that. Like I'm, I'm not going to look to HR or to the upper management to be creating something because the further away you get from the workers, the people that really make it happen, the further away you get from them, the, the less people understand each other. Yeah. So it should be, the focus has got to be on, I mean, if, if I were to tell anybody on a higher, like the executive level in any company, mm-hmm. I would say, Pick your managers carefully, like really pick them carefully. That is your key. Your managers are your key, not upper management, not the executives. They're not the key. The key is the people that the workers that are get that are creating your product, whatever that product is, who they deal with on a day to day basis. That will be the key to how you know if somebody is satisfied working for you. And then the managers need to focus on 
being genuine, really looking at what is it that the people that are working that I'm that I'm coaching or I'm leading. That's the thing is there's a lot of people don't have leadership skills, right? But the people that I'm leading, what do they need from me? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like if you want to buy some satisfaction at the manager level, like bring donuts to the site at the beginning of the day, (laughs) you will buy their love. And, you know, if, if a company wants to support that, they could give all the managers a little tiny, like happiness fund and be Mm -hmm. like, Hey man, here's like 200 bucks. So the manager doesn't always have to buy the donuts, you know, like, like a little, a little sprinkling of couch change, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to, for that kind of thing, that will go miles further than like the next meeting on how we need to be friends with each other. You know? Yeah. I mean, just a couple of things here. First off, if a company can't afford those little niceties, that little, that yeah. little $200 happiness fund, I like calling it that the, the stocked fridge, if you can't afford those things as a company, then I don't really want to work for you because you've got bigger financial problems. You know what I mean? Yes. If like, so if like the bottom line is going to suffer the, because of that. <laughs> oh God, that's true. In my experience, that stuff can be so inexpensive. You're right. Yeah. Like if they can't, yes. if they can't cover that, that's on them. But it's, your, all, it's all can be written off. I mean, that's yeah. really stupid. If you, yeah. if it's not even about affording it anymore, that's stuff that can be written off. It's just people that are not, savvy in the business world that's right exactly and you're not you're not buying sodas and beers and and donuts you're buying you're buying culture (laughs) you're buying something way more valuable right and that that leads me to um well commenting on you heather manager is a is a term that encompasses a lot of people in positions in crm and i want to make sure that we're also talking about crew chiefs because i've worked when i especially before i started my own company i worked for a lot of companies where i never met the project manager i never even we never even had like a Mm -hmm. field director sometimes it was just crew chiefs like you get on site as a shovel bum and you're working for a crew chief and that crew chief is a dick and you think i'm never going to work for this company again because the crew chief is a dick (laughs) right well that's why i'm saying the people that have the daily interaction, yes. so whoever that manager is, the people yeah. that have the daily interaction with those that are creating the product, that's right. who that should be focused on. And a good manager, let's say a project manager, not a project manager, project managers, yeah. like you said, they're totally different. They manage the project. They don't right. manage people. There's very different. What I'm talking about is people managers, and I should have been more specific, people managers are where the company needs to focus on, that they are selecting the proper people managers. It's not about delegating. That's a project manager who delegates. People managers are so important to the satisfaction of an employee. Well, I'll end with just a couple of things that I didn't make up on my own. I learned from good crew chiefs and good project managers or field directors that were out in the field. And I perpetuated this in my own company. One of them is similar to what Andrew said with bringing donuts at the end of a really long, hot day. You know what you should have in your hotel room? You should always have a box of like popsicles or ice cream bars or stop at the gas station on the way home and pick them up if you don't have them. Right? You should always have those. We used to do that in Belize. Oh, yeah. And that was huge. <laughs> it's such a game changer to just sit there and have that cold popsicle. Or you know what? And depending yeah. on your culture, maybe you've got a, a cooler full of beer too, but you got to be careful with that because not everybody drinks beer and right, uh, and right. has those drinks. So it's it's nicer. Both. It's more inclusive. Yeah, you can have both, but it's more inclusive yeah. to have like, you know, something like that. And then the other one, again, it comes down to these little things, these little things that make people appreciate you. Do you know how many people I've worked for that will 
take the company supplied water jugs and just fill it up from the uh, in the bathtub in their hotel room. And oh. I call it tub water and it's gross. Uh. And you, you uh. have this water from all these places. And I always, at the end of every workday, I always went to the grocery store or wherever you could go to one of those water machines. And I filled up the water and I would buy ice from the grocery store and I'd fill up the water with good water. Right. And, and I made sure people know that I wasn't filling it up with the hose sitting outside, uh, you know, haphazardly coiled up the, the kind of black hose that you're not, it used to be green and you're not sure why it's black, but it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, totally. it's got, these, it's got this that? look to it. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> and, and you're filling up <laughs> the water from that, you know, it, who knows what crawled up that hose overnight or how long it's been <laughs> since it was used. But I've seen people fill up the water container with those things. And I'm just like, I'm bringing my own water. Screw you. That's gross. And, you know, but they're obligated to bring water because that's a safety thing. And and Mm -hmm. and they just they just phone it in and do it the easy, cheap way. And people notice that kind of stuff. So anyway, we are way over on this podcast. So we're going to end it here. There's lots of stuff we could say. Maybe email in or comment wherever you see this show with the good things you like that your company does, whether it's a crew chief, a project manager, or the company as a whole, that you think really helps build that community and makes you want to stay there. And, you know, I, I'm not saying email in with the stuff you don't like because I just don't, you know, that'll be a whole career yeah. for me just reading those emails. But go ahead if you want. But, you know, we'd like, we want to hear the good stuff people are doing. So maybe we can bring that up on another show. I totally yeah. want to hear that. Like, yeah, I, I hope they, they do write in. Uh. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, with that, we'll see you guys next week. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. I never got to talk about my job dissatisfaction with the Archaeological Podcast Network. Oh, well, that's why I ended the show strategically. Exactly. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.